This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, are you up for a question? Shoot. Ryan, what do singers Harry Styles, Pink, Madonna, actor Jennifer Lawrence, and former U.S. President Barack Obama and today's guest have in common? Well, that was a mouthful, but I've, I've got this, Greg. I have this locked in. They are all bipedal primates, <laughs> specifically members of the species Homo sapiens. Final answer. Okay, well, that's one answer. Okay, I'll give you that one. Well, Ryan... <laughs> To give you the more complex answer, they have all either fallen down on a stage, fallen off, or fallen while climbing onto a stage. And our guest today is going to help us learn how to rise above that most unwelcome surprise. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? Dr. Karen Neal is back for her second appearance on the Toastmasters podcast. Longtime listeners might recall that she first joined us all the way back in 2014 and after eight years of incessant emails from listeners demanding an encore, we decided it was about time for another visit with the doctor. Dr. Karen Neal is a performance storyteller, radio personality, and author. She co-produces and co-hosts the Public Storyteller segment on South Florida Public Radio, WLRN, as well as numerous local storytelling events. Dr. Neal is a frequent contributor to the Toastmaster magazine with over 20 years of writing for the magazine, and her most recent contribution is in the August 2022 issue. It's called Oops! Onstage mishaps can be mortifying, but you can rise above an unwelcome surprise. Dr. Karen Neal, I hope this is not an unwelcome surprise to you, but welcome back to the Toastmasters podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Karen, it's nice to see that if you're going to have a mishap, it's great to be in great company. So I'm wondering, Karen, which category, pardon the pun, do you fall into or off of or onto? I am definitely bipedal and a homo <laughs> sapiens. No question about that. I definitely do fall on stage. At least I did that once. <laughs> As a storyteller, Karen, I'd love to hear your version of your onstage fall. What was going through your head at that time? Well, for a long time, I felt that I could not fill a stage. And that may sound funny. How can any one individual <laughs> fill a stage unless you're maybe a sumo wrestler? But <laughs> I really felt that there were some individuals who could just, with the force of their personality, the, their presence, their stage presence, could do such a thing. I've since learned how to do that without running across a stage. But at the time, I was speaking to 200 women at a luncheon in a community in Florida. My aunt and her friends were in the audience. I wanted to make her feel good, to make her feel proud. She just happened to be in that audience. And I thought, you know, I'm telling the story. It needs something more. And it was a very deep room, and it was a very big stage. And I felt lost. 
I don't usually have that kind of feeling, but that day I felt like I was disappearing. And in this particular story, I was telling the person in the story, the heroine, had to run. The funny thing about all of this is I'm always telling my students, storytelling is not acting. You are recounting an experience in the past. So you do not act out your story. That is storytelling 101. But that day, for some reason, I felt it was necessary in, are you ready, ladies? High heels. (laughs) And I started to run across the stage. And in the middle of it, I tripped. Now, there were 200, 200 elderly women. They all gasped, and I was not a beginning storyteller at the time by any means. This had just never happened, and I was absolutely mortified. But I made some sort of joke. I said, and then she fell, and then she got up, and everybody laughed, and everything was fine. Well, most people would learn from their mistake I'm standing there. I'm going on with my show. Everything is fine. I've got the audience where, you know, where I want them. It's fine. It's an awful room. It really is. The setup is terrible, but everything's going fine. And then at the end of that story, I feel like I need some closure. And what does closure mean? That closure means you open a door at the beginning of something, whether it's a speech or a story, and then you sort of come full circle. What was full circle for me running across the stage? And for some strange reason, all I had to do was what I always do, which is just a tiny little pantomime for one and a half seconds of running. If that, you don't even have to do that when you're telling a story, but if that, that's all I needed to do. For some strange reason, I will never understand, I started running across the stage. And 200 women, I kid you not, in one voice called out, don't run. (laughs) All I could think was, I have never brought together an audience so well in all my years of performance. They were as one. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Karen. And I think before we get into the content of your article, we should level the playing field a little bit because as much fun as it is to laugh at other people's uh, stories, Greg and I have our own mishaps as well. So Greg, do you want to share one first? No. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Hey, I had to. No, it's okay. I'm certainly happy to share it. The, The short one is, of course, my first table topic where I didn't make 12 seconds. But I think one of my most embarrassing moments was probably it was a few weeks after the humorous speech competition which i placed third of 900 in our district i was asked to give that speech at a demonstration meeting and for those of you listening who are not familiar it's where there's an initial meeting to try to create interest in creating a new toastmasters club so there were about 40 or 50 people if i'm not mistaken i think it was like a late sunday morning or a late saturday morning so i started giving my speech, humorous speech. And of course, because it was a toast, regular Toastmasters meeting, they had a grammarian, there was a word of the day. So of course, in my infinite wisdom, in the middle of my rehearsed and well-memorized speech, I tried to insert the word of the day. 
which I successfully did. However, I lost my place and I could not get it back. So I had to go back to the beginning. And then, of course, I just made a funny joke out of it. And I say, well, even some of us that have done this for many, many years still mess up every once in a while. And there was sort of a meek laughter in the audience because I don't think people <laughs> wanted to laugh. But I learned there it's a really it's great to laugh at yourself. <laughs> so that would probably be one of the ones I could probably think of that would be very memorable. Wow. I've got a similar one, actually. It was in Boston, Massachusetts. I was a fairly new Toastmaster and had entered the International Speech Contest. I was at the Boston Public Library. I had drilled my speech over and over and over. I made the fatal mistake of memorizing everything word for word, which means if you miss one domino in the train, <laughs> the show stops. <laughs> and that's what happened, not once but twice. And I wish I could say that it was about a 30-second pause, but that would be reducing how long the pause was by about 50%. That was when I learned how compassionate and sympathetic Toastmasters are as I gazed out into the eyes of people trying desperately to reconnect with my story and where it's supposed to be going. And everyone just gazed lovingly back at me. And I stood there for, yeah, a full 60 seconds, finally found a way to pick back up only two, three quarters of the way through the speech to lose it for another 10, 15 seconds. <laughs> well, I don't want to play Can You Top This, but... <laughs> but you're going to anyway. <laughs> since we're talking about terrible memorization stories, and of course, this is one of the things I always say, do not attempt to memorize more than the opening line, the closing mm -hmm. line, and anything really important. Like you don't want to say fee-fi-fo-fum one time and then fo-foo-foo-foo another time. But other than that, don't memorize. Remember your order, your outline, but not your lines. One time at a Toastmasters meeting early on in my career, not only did I lose my place, I didn't have an outline. I had written down every single word. When I went to look at my place, I had to find it because I wasn't following the script. I had memorized it, but I had the script in front of me. So I couldn't just jump down to my outline and find out where it was. I had to turn page after page after page. I mean, it was just compounding mistakes, <laughs> but that's how you learn. Absolutely. So that's a great segue into the, the first formal question, if you will. I'm sure you and many of our listeners have heard the famous quote from Benjamin Franklin, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, and so before we get into recovery, a cure, once the mistake has been made, what are some ways that we can prevent mishaps from mishappening to begin with, Karen? <laughs> Actually, in my article, I said an ounce of preventing embarrassment is worth a pound of overcoming it. To uh, paraphrase Franklin, right. you are absolutely right. It is the most important thing to remember is how to not get into the situation in the first place. What do you want to do? You want to first and foremost rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Actually, you know what? I'm even going to go before rehearse. I'm even going to say that's second and second most. First and foremost, you want to be as comfortable as possible on stage. 
rehearse suggests that you learn whatever it is you're going to be doing that day. And of course, that's important. Absolutely. And I have been in situations where I've gone from Toastmaster Club to Toastmaster Club, rehearsing something for clubs before I actually did the thing. And, and, and that, that is incomparable. But even before that, or while you're doing that, any opportunity to speak at all is worthwhile. Why? Because we know what leads to performance anxiety. And performance anxiety is one of the reasons that we screw up in the first place. Uh, and one of the reasons that we can't recover when we screw up, if that happens, is because we don't feel comfortable. If you're in your ordinary life and you make a mistake, you'll just move on, uh, hopefully, and correct that mistake. On stage, it feels completely exponentially more important. So the more experience you have speaking in front of others, the better that's going to be. So every opportunity you can. And I'm talking even uh, early on in my career, I made it a point when I was at a public lecture of raising my hand and asking a question. Now, I didn't make up a stupid question, but I might say, could you repeat that? Or could you just explain why? Because I figured, you know, it wouldn't hurt to know that anyway. But just to hear my voice in a forum, even if I didn't have the opportunity to be on stage. So early on in your career, if you're in a classroom, challenge yourself to ask a question. If you are in a group and you usually don't speak up in a group, you want to hear your voice, you want to be comfortable having all eyes on you. So once you are comfortable doing that and having people look at you and listen to you, then the next step, of course, is going to be preparing what it is specifically you're going to do. So that if suddenly your slip falls down, although that probably hasn't happened to the two of you, although you never know, uh, if your slip <laughs> falls down, if you trip, if you burp, uh, if, if any terrible thing, and I use terrible uh, advisedly, if anything happens to you on stage, and remember, these most of these things are not terrible at all. They are just things. They just feel terrible at the moment then you are going to be so calm, cool, and collected that you're going to be able to put that in perspective right away and not freak out. Otherwise, of course, part of preparation, checking the mic, going to the venue ahead of time if you possibly can. It would have been really nice if I had known what that uh, venue looked like in advance and knew how bad it was for a single performer on stage to have that long, 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 long uh, audience um, area. Are your props right there? And do you have an extra battery for your mic? Or is there one available is always a good thing. And because it was Justin Bieber, who lost his lunch on stage, you might <laughs> not want to eat too much before getting up there. Now there's a visual. <laughs> In the article, Verity Price is also quoted about when something goes wrong, you can only go up from here, turn it into something funny. I'm just wondering, is there a rule? Because I know in the article, it, it makes reference to letting things go. So when something does happen on stage, sometimes you hear people say, well, don't make a joke of it. Some people might say, just ignore it. Perhaps they won't even notice. Is there a general rule around that? 
Absolutely. And the rule is go with your gut. There are some people who are just not going to come up with an appropriate funny remark, or they don't feel funny in that moment at all. Don't try to be funny. I'm looking at you, Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a quote from my article. Thank you very right. much. Don't make a joke if you're not a joker and you don't feel like making a joke. If you are mortified, this may be controversial, I'm going to suggest that you look at the audience and authentically, sincerely, person to people, say, I can't believe that just happened. If you're the kind of person who would rather move on, move on. One of the best qualities of a speaker is to be real. You're a larger version of yourself. Obviously, you don't speak into a microphone usually when you're talking to your significant other. And you may not be always dressed that way. And you may not always be standing quite that straight. But if you are real, the audience knows we all lose our lunch at times. We all fall. All kinds of things happen to us. And the audience will go with them. If all else fails, I'm going to suggest you do what a wonderful client of mine did. She's my role model for embarrassing moments. Uh, she <laughs> had to go to the bathroom terribly, terribly on stage. And this was a major, major presentation. What was she going to do? How do you walk off stage in the middle of your presentation? But what choice did she have? So she thought fast. I don't think she planned this ahead of time. There are some things you just can't plan. She asked the audience a question, and then she walked off stage, did what she had to do, came back, and nobody was the wiser. If you can pull that off, that's beautiful. If I could have, and I don't remember what the joke was that I made uh, when I fell, but I think what I may have done is gotten up, dusted myself off and said, I meant to do that. That's it. So anything that you do that seems ridiculous and embarrassing, if you say you're in control, you show you're in control, it doesn't matter how you do that. By asking a question and walking off stage, by saying I meant to do that, and clearly you didn't, but everybody's laughing by making any other joke. And the reason is really simple. It's the same whether you are a speaker, actually two reasons, the same whether you're a speaker, a storyteller, a singer, uh, whatever you are on stage. The first reason is the audience does not want to be embarrassed for you. The audience wants to know you're okay because there is nothing more uncomfortable for an audience than when the person on stage is uncomfortable. And the reason for that is the other point, which is when you are on stage, think of yourself as a guide on a safari. The audience is depending on you. So if you are lost, the audience freaks out. The audience is lost. I don't mean mm. literally, but you know what I mean. If yeah. The audience wants to know that you are in control. However you do that is just fine, whether laughing or saying I meant to do that or, or however it is, as long as you're okay and aren't embarrassed, 
they're okay and they're not embarrassed. Same thing with any kind of nervousness on stage. We may feel something. The audience doesn't know what we feel. They only know what they see and hear. So you may be as embarrassed as I was when I fell. The audience did not know I was embarrassed. The audience thought, what a trooper. Here she fell on stage and the show went on. And I know, you know, and I know that was the case with Verity Price as well. Mm. Sometimes these things, sometimes you learn these lessons by accident. I, <laughs> as you were speaking, I was thinking back to a time I had to deliver district leadership training. So I gave the training on a Wednesday evening and I had some humor in there and it really, it got a great laugh. I delivered the same training on Saturday morning. And when I delivered that line or that joke, or I told that piece of humor, all I got were crickets. <laughs> and I wasn't sure based on what you're saying, I'm not sure whether they were just too tired and it was just, they were partying the night before or whether or not they were feeling sorry for me. But what blurted out of my mouth was note to self change joke of being delivered before 9am. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet they all laughed. Yeah, they did. And the funny thing is, it was early on in my leadership journey. And I felt very <laughs> uncomfortable by that. But it turned it around. And so now I will purposely use that line note to self. <laughs> nice. That's brilliant. And as Verity Price said, as I quoted her in the article, I've learned that when you okay, are okay, with things not being okay, then not much can actually embarrass you. True. You know what to do. And it's uh, the line I quoted in the article I, I got, I stole, actually, I did not attribute it to them. And I apologize, Red Cross. I stole this from the Red Cross. Expect the unexpected. Something's going to happen. How are you going to deal with it? So now, and I use the note to self line. I've never used it on stage, but I use it in company when something funny, something weird, something uh, wrong happens. Looking at your article, you mentioned that you say, learn to stay mellow and it will usually work out fine. Mellow is actually an acronym that you use, and it refers to a six-point mastering technique to help diffuse embarrassment. Now, you already talked about memorization. Is there one of these points in the Mellow acronym that you feel strongly about that you think perhaps is sometimes maybe neglected, underappreciated, or maybe even dismissed? Well, before I respond to that, which I think is, I mean, it's a great question, but I've got to tell you, I wish that you had read my article before I had submitted it, because for some strange reason, it's a five-point acronym. I didn't add the W for mellow, so I just called it M-E-L-L-O. And I think I maybe ran out of, of word space, and I could have added the W at the end, and it would have been a six-point acronym. <laughs> and I think it's the one that I did not add that mm. is the one I'd like to, to uh, bring up. And that is the word win. The W at the end of mellow, I have an M and an E and an L and an L and an O. And the one I didn't put in, the W at the end of mellow, and I'm going to say win from it. And that is even different from learn from it, which I uh, was one of my L's. If you can think of this, I know it's hard at the time, and I'm not going to say the next time it happens to me. And oh, yeah, there'll be a next time it'll happen to me. And Greg and Ryan, there'll be a next time it happens to you, too. I hate to be the one to tell you. But if we 
think of it as I've been a writer for most of my life. The best advice I ever got was to savor, in fact, to frame and put up on your walls your rejection letters. This is a win. It is actually a good thing when you screw up. Why is it a win? It's not just something you learn from. It's better than that. And the reason I'm saying it's better than that, think of the great stories that you get from this. Think of the great experiences. Think of how we have connected, the three of us have connected over these embarrassing moments. Think about the point that I have something in common with Barack Obama now, not to mention Justin Bieber. Okay, well, I didn't do what he did, but I mean, (laughs) this is our humanity. And the more times that we are come into contact, that we rub shoulders with our humanity, we are not machines. A machine is not going to forget. If we have a Siri getting up on stage in five years, Siri getting up on stage and delivering a speech, she's not going to make any mistakes or Alexa. Is that what we want? No. This is a beautiful one of a kind moment. And people are going to be talking about the the time that Verity Price fell. The Verity Price. We saw the Verity Price of Mm. winner of the 2021 International Speech Contest. I was there the moment, you know, I mean, that becomes a moment in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not only is it okay, but it's actually cool. Karen, we've been talking about embarrassment here, and I'd like to roll something by you and and get your input on it. On a recent episode, we spoke with former chief of police, Robert Navarez. This was episode number 208, um, all about the fear of public speaking. And it seems to me that the fear of public speaking might actually be a fear of embarrassment. Moreover, What would you advise someone who had an embarrassing moment and did not have any of these skills to recover gracefully, and that moment has stuck with them, perhaps even stopped them from getting up on stage again because they just can't imagine having to face that level of embarrassment another time? Oh, what a beautiful question. My best answer to that is get back on the horse start from square one. Nobody is ever going to be standing there when you speak with a gun in case you screw up. And the way to get over it is with, what's the word? Desensitization. Mm. You just go back to square one, go to your Toastmasters meetings, recognize you have hit a point where you need to go over the basics, speak as often as you can, There is not going to be any time when your life is in danger. All this is about is about perhaps making an error on stage. And the only way you can get past that fear is by confronting it. Well said. Was that useful? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it certainly does put speaking anxiety into a different perspective. Well, Karen, I'd like to invite you to share with our listeners If they would like to reach out to you, perhaps to learn storytelling or get some coaching or or those things that you offer, and if so, what would be the best way for listeners to get in touch? 
I would love to hear from listeners about anything. And even if you've got some uh, advice that you need or that you want to give to me or you have uh, something, a, a bone to pick with something I've said, please email me at cneil, that's C-N as in Nancy, E-I-L-E, at F as in Frank, A-U dot E-D-U. And folks, if you found this episode valuable, which I know we have, please don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Please share this episode with others. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Dr. Karen Neal, thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll see you in another eight years. It was a real pleasure. Listen, let's make it seven. (laughs) Deal. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.